Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D dot com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. Today I want to talk part two about what I talked about last week, Zoe, the life to the max, enjoying life more abundantly. And um, I don't know if you remember from last week, I gave you some thoughts about the word abundantly out of the Strong's, number 4053, it means super abundance. It means excessive, excessive, <laughs> overflowing, surplus, over and above, more than enough. Say more. I, I, my, my phrase is more than enough. I use that phrase a lot. Extraordinary and, and more than sufficient. Some other words that come with that same Greek word that I just said to you about abundance is exceedingly abundantly. Exceedingly. More plainly superior. It has superiority advantage, more imminent more remarkable, so we're, we're better than the uh, little rascals, remarkable, it's more remarkable. <laughs> yeah, more, we're more remarkable and more excellent, amen? I'm going to read out of my Amplified Bible on my phone here. I got to use this finger, otherwise does it. Oh, there it is, okay. This is the Amplified, John 10.10, 10. that's what we where we started last week, John 10, 10, and the Amplified. John's got it up there. Okay, good going, John. It says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. Again, that's the A part of the verse. The B part starts at this point. I came, Jesus said, that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. And all those words go with it with that word abundance. And then in parentheses it says, to the full till it overflows. Till the full till it overflows. Amen? And because of the cross, as even as Leah was sharing, it is done, and because of the cross, we are God's sons and daughters. Based on God's grace and mercy and forgiving us, and making us righteous regardless of our performance. That's what we're going to talk about. Because the performance trap is a major lie of unbelief. 
When we place our self-worth on how well or how poorly we perform, we are building our identity on a false foundation of performance. And it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It doesn't go in the kingdom of God. The thinking goes like this. If we perform well, then we are good. If we perform poorly, then we are worthless. That's a performance mindset. And it's evident how widespread this belief is when so many people are willing to sacrifice so much to experience success and then build their significance on that kind of false belief, that kind of foundation. See, our Father God does not want us to build our self-worth on the shifting foundation of performance. And for a lot of us, that's very difficult because instead we are to build our self-worth on who we are in Christ. Who does, what does it say about us in Christ? I forget. I, gotta, I don't know if I could find if I have time. Let me find you this one other post on here. I got, I got it this, this week from my friend uh, Ralph Harris. We've had Ralph here in the, in the past. And this was a good, a good quote he put on uh, uh, Twitter this, this week. He says, he says my, while my favorite Greek word for grace appears 155 times in the New Testament, the phrase in Christ is used by the Apostle Paul more than 160 times. More than grace in Christ is used more in our Bibles. I thought that was interesting. And, and in various forms, in the Lord, in him, in Jesus, and more. In Christ is how God thinks of us all the time. As closely as legs and arms are united to the body, so we are spiritually united to Christ and enjoy and benefit from intimate union with him. That's our every moment starting point. I thought that was a good post. Amen? See, we are God's sons and daughters based on the finished work of the cross, based on what Jesus said about us. See, the gospel is rooted in grace. We're saved by grace, according to Ephesians 2, right? We live by grace, according to 2 Timothy 1.9, and we never stop living by grace, his mercy and his love. See, based on God's grace and mercy and, and his forgiving us and making us righteous regardless of what we do. What we, how we perform. Experiencing grace has much to do with our enjoyment of Zoe, life, to the max and our understanding of God and our ability to get along with, well with others. I mean, I love every Since I got into this whole kingdom, new kingdom, God's kingdom in Christ, I love everybody. I even, you know, it's weird because at some point I, I fell in love with even all the animals that are in my yard, even the ones I don't like, you know. Even the skunk, I have a skunk in my yard. And he loves digging. He looks for the beehives or the yellow jackets or the hornet nests that are in the grass. And he goes down and he digs down and he's because he's looking to eat the honeycomb. So when you go out to where the hole is where he's dug, there's honeycomb there that he already ate. It's just dried up. That's what skunks do, you know. I even like... Um, those other little critters are called, I think, chipmunks. You know, I know, you know, and they're, they're crazy, crazy things, you know. <laughs> but God's grace, God, grace is God's unearned favor to us. 
And through grace, we receive all the good things we don't deserve. That's what's interesting about grace. We, we receive all the good things we don't deserve. See, grace is God's love in action as he blesses us out of a loving heart. The opposite of grace in your Bible is legalism, is religion, is a law mindset. Because legalism dispenses justice based on performance. That's the world. I mean, that's the world you live in. That's the world system, and we live in it. We were raised in it. We, you know, we, when we went to grade school, it was if you did good, you got A's, B's, and you know, good grades. And if you did bad, you got D's and F's. And we were raised under that belief system, which is a faulty belief system. And we see this all over the news in our world today. Many today in our world are very comfortable with justice, but really struggle with grace. Really struggle with grace. And for many today, it's hard for them to accept God's grace for no good reason and no merit on my own. Grace is all about God's generous love because God is always about grace. And legalism is always about earning things and deserving things. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. It says, And the word became flesh. I have books in my office, if you ever want to read one, by, um, uh, what's his name? Robbie's, Andre Robbie. He's got two or three books just on this one verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 15 through 17, it says, John bore witness of him, and he cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen? And many today are very acquainted with the truth side of Jesus Christ, but still struggle with the grace understanding of God. And I'm going to teach you about this today and un, so that you can understand it in a few minutes here. But grace is so much about, give, about God giving and receiving and us receiving his gifts. And, but we must grow in the understanding and the experience of that grace. Just like Leah said about the healing, it's always there. It was in the covenant, the covenant of grace. It is done. It's there. It's always available. <laughs> but Jesus taught a parable that I think illustrates our tendencies to be more legalistic rather than gracious. Let's go to, in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. And in my Bible, everything's in red. There's no black ink. It's all red ink. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner 
who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyards. And now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. The first, the first crew that you see there in one and two, <coughs> I'll explain this. Uh, let me just read it first and then we'll, we'll go into it. I don't want to mess up. And then he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go out into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is right. There's no mention of a denarius there. Just what is right in God's eyes. Amen. Verse 5, again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. If you ever want to know about the vineyard and the branches, all you have to do is go to John 15 and read the chapter about the vine and the branches, and you get an explanation of what he's saying here. Amen? And whatever is right, he says, you will receive. <clears throat> so when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. Doesn't our Bible say the last shall be first and the first shall be last? <laughs> That's what it says. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more based on performance thinking, based on legalistic thinking, based on a religious mindset or a law mindset. Amen? But they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they rejoiced that God was so generous. Ah. Ah. They complained. They were angry. They said, what a ripoff. Against the landowner. I think there's a scripture. I didn't even have this on my, but I'm just thinking of it right now. So let me see if I can go there before I quote it to you. And I don't want to make a mistake and misquote, but I think this is where it's at. There it is. Philippians 2.14. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Amen. That you may become, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, sons and daughters of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast, verse 16, the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ 
that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Let's go back to Matthew 20. Verse 12 says, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what? With my own things? Or is it your evil, your eye, or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first. And the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. If you want to hold, put a, a, one of your tassels there. If you ever, I don't know if you ever want to look at my Bible. I got like 15 tassels in my, I, I buy extra tassels and I stick them in the thing. Because when I study, I need all I can get. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. I believe this scripture goes with this parable. Matthew 9. 35 through 38. It says, Then Jesus went out, went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. What was he doing? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among them. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what's the, how do, what, what do we do from this point on? He says, Therefore pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's what we should be praying for today. We should be praying for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Amen? Again, the, this whole story, this whole parable, and go back to the 20th of Matthew. Let's go back there. And this whole parable, this, it, was, it was an agreement. The agreement was just a landowner would pay a denarius. And it's used, this word, this whole word is used 16 times in the New Testament, for 12 hours of work. It was fair and, go, it was the, and the going wage for the day's labor. The workday commonly began at 6 a.m. Say 6 a.m. How many things have changed in our culture? We, we can't even get people out of their houses today. They want, they want to stay and work on their computer and just stay home, and that's okay. But that's just the change of the culture and the time. Amen? But the work day began at 6 a.m. The spiritual analogy is those who have been believers the longest are the ones who begin early in the morning and are promised fair compensation for serving God, the landowner. The landowner is God. Okay? 
They are grateful for this arrangement and all begins well. Then at 9 o'clock, other people are hired. And then notice, and then verse 3 and 4, you notice that the landowner who went out and hired more workers, they did not approach him. He took the initiative and hired them. His financial arrangement with them was unclear. The only arrangement was a promise to pay whatever is right. And they still worked. They still got out of the marketplace and they went to work. Spiritual application is those who come to Christ later in life must trust God to do whatever is right. Amen? They can never catch up with the early believers in terms of living their whole lives for God. And then the landowner goes out at 12 noon and even hires more workers. In Matthew 25, he hires a noon crew and then he hires an afternoon crew. And they're told the same thing as the 9 o'clock crew. They would be paid by whatever is right. The early morning crew was probably assuming 9 a.m. workers would earn three quarters of a day's wage. 12 noon workers would get a half a day's wage. And the 3 p.m. crew would get a quarter wage. But the spiritual analogy is God invites people to enter into his kingdom even if they waste some or most of their lives away from him. See, God sees them idle, these around us. They, he sees them idle without purpose. And he wants to help them because God's not willing that any would perish. And God is good. And God is compassionate. And he's always just and can be trusted to treat everyone right at the end of the day. But then the landowner does something that seemingly is ridiculous. He goes out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and hires some workers at the last hour of the day. And we see this happening now in our world. Why would God bother with these last-minute people? Because he's a God that is not willing that any would be lost. And this shows us how good our God is and how, how could this late worker feed their families on one hour's wage. At 6 o'clock, the whistle blew. The workday was over, 6 p.m. And it was paid time. Notice the order who was paid first. We read that. The, the last were first. And how much they got. Unbelievable. He paid a whole day's wage for only one hour. The church would be screaming. <laughs> Twelve times more than what they earned. How ridiculously generous is our God. How good and gracious is he to pay them a full day's wage for only a partial day's work. That, my beloved, is grace. Getting what they don't deserve. They didn't deserve so much goodness. And this demonstrates the grace of our God. He gives full salvation even to the latecomers. Amen. I mean, you may have wasted most of your life away from God, but he is gracious and gives you the full benefits and the full inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And you have experienced the unearned favor of God. 
And all the rest of the crew probably rejoiced in astonishment at what was being given to the last crew. Everyone received the same wage. A good God. Amen? Then the complaining begins. <laughs> this is a ripoff. I'm not working for this guy no more. I quit. <laughs> he won't see me tomorrow when the, when the whistle goes off. I won't be here. And everyone else was praising the gracious and generous landowner except the 6 a.m. crew. They felt they deserved more for all the time they put in. And this, my beloved, is a perfect picture of legalism. Legalistic Christians tend to grumble a lot and compare themselves with others, which is much like a religious person or a law mindset person. See, legalistic Christians want justice, and we hear it. They want justice, and they want it now. But God wants to give grace. And the landowner answered their grumbling complaints with this. See, we, we read it in Matthew 20, verses 13 through 16. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this to the last man, the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? You understand that God's grace is not about being fair. It's about showing equal love. Legalism wants everyone to be treated the same. Grace wants everyone to be treated well and in love. The landowner was interested in meeting all the needs of all the crews. He cared about the 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 6 o'clock crews as much as he cared about the early morning 6 a.m. crew. See, God loves each one of us equal, equally regardless of when we enter his family. Amen? See, the landowner tells the grumbling 6 o'clock crew to take your pay and go. You agreed. Go. Does he care if they don't come the next day? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. See, because ungrateful, grumbling people displease God. That's what it says in Philippians 2.14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Quit fighting amongst yourselves. Quit making yourself superior over others. He does not want them hanging around complaining. Because he, he knows if the complaining hang around, they'll poison the rest. So he tells them to take your pay and go. Get out of here. You can't stay around here and complain. Go. Amen? That's what this parable says. Instead, he wants them to appreciate what they have and stop being envious of the undeserved good he does for others. And those who have walked with Jesus for a long time need to pay special attention to this parable. God is going to bring many people into his family, and he's going to be very generous to them, 
giving them the full benefits you got and you've still been serving the Lord for 20 years. Amen? And we're not complaining, right? Many who have been a part of the family for a long time will be tempted to treat the latecomers as second-class stepchildren. Many will tend to be envious of all the good God does for them and grumble against them. Who are you to have a valid opinion? I've been at this church for years. I know better than you. Remember, God treats everyone equally well. He doesn't have a second-class members in his family. And if we have a heart of grace, we will rejoice with the latecomers. Amen? And we will be glad for the deathbed conversions. And we'll be happy to have a foxhole in a jailhouse conversion as well. Amen? And we'll want everyone to experience the great grace of our generous God. Amen? Because grace always wins. It always says yes to whomsoever will come and accept Jesus at any time of the day. Legalism, sa legalism says no. Grace is generous and undeserving. But legalism wants them to justly suffer for their sins. You must suffer for your sins. Legalism wants people to earn their standing before God. But grace wants God to be generous to all, regardless of seniority. <laughs> See, a legalistic mindset tends to be more and more exclusive and becomes more and more controlling and demanding. But grace is much more open and generous with differences. This is what Jesus was teaching to the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. He was teaching them this, They're what the kingdom of God, what the new covenant was all about. And if you read the rest of the chapters, they didn't get it because they just kept trying to find ways to crucify him. They wanted him dead. Who is this marauder? Who is this guy with these crazy messages to tell us these things? See, grace doesn't make rational sense because it is not motivated, motivated by justice and rewards and punishments. Grace is motivated by love. Love. A love rich in mercy and not willing that any should perish. Zoe to the max is learning to live in the glory of God's grace. Living in legalism steals the joy of celebrating the generosity of a gracious God. See, legalism is performance-based thinking. That's what's in our world. That's how the world thinks. You don't perform, you get the pink slip. Or, you say, or they just say goodbye. They shut, close the computer on you. So grace celebrated love. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's legalistic thinking. The issue is always love. Let's go to John 3.16. And you don't need a placard to know this scripture. But I do encourage you to memorize it. In 65 different translations.
John 3, 16, for God so, what did he do? So what? Loved, and who did he love? The church? The world. And everything, everybody and everything in it. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Everlasting life. See, God's love came down to us and was received by us so that we can now pass it along to the world around us. Go out into the world. Go out into the hedges and the highways. Invite them to come into the wedding feast. Where do you think the wedding feast is? It's not up there. It's right here every Sunday. This is the wedding feast. What are we waiting for? Go out into the highways, into the hedges, into the byways, and invite them in. This is the wedding feast. We are the church. He died for us. Amen? And grace gives God a standing ovation because it has little to do with us and all to do with our generous God. See, pronouncing judgment on others is the natural outcome of living by performance. And God has not called us to be judges. He does not want us to enforce the rules. A judgmental person will be harsh on the one who fails, saying, I told you so. A grace-filled person embraces the one who fails, saying, God wants to help you succeed. God wants to help you succeed. And God forgives and cleans the slate of your life. Justice judges keep records of the debt of everything you've done in your past. I've sat in many a courtroom with people who just gave their life to Christ and they had to stand before the judge in the courtroom and they don't care that this, new, this person is now born again, spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, and totally healed. You tell the judge that? He just says, let's see the charges against this, this person. He holds a paper up. That's what he does. And the judge says, oh, I don't have my gavel. Drops the gavel, 15 years in prison. And I don't care that he's born again. I don't care he's speaking in tongues. I don't care he's had a change in his life. Justice demands payment, punishment. And that's why we struggle with grace. Because we live in a world that believes this way. And when we come into the kingdom, when we come into God, and we see the new covenant, and we see grace, we struggle with that. Because the whole world is looking for justice and punishment. Amen? See, God forgives and cleans the slate of your life. He doesn't keep records of what you did in the past. 1 Corinthians 13, old things. 2 Corinthians 5.17, old things are passed away. You know how many Christians still remind people of their past? Man. 
We need to get rid of the head. You know? To truly live in grace, we must be forgivers again and again. Grace cannot coexist with unforgiveness. They are opposite poles. Forgiveness is the language of grace. Unforgiveness is the language of legalism. And learning to forgive always and stay in grace, it is who God is. See, forgiving others is not based on what they de- that, that, they, that they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Because if you don't forgive somebody, you're going to live in utter chaos in your head. They're going to live in your head rent-free and torment you because you won't forgive them. Forgive people in your life, even those who are not sorry for their actions. Holding on to anger only hurts you not them. Love.